This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live where we are going to talk about bass fishing. I've made it back from the Chesapeake Bay Bassmaster Northern Open and we will get into all of the goings on in the world of professional fishing including three new anglers who have punched their tickets to the 2023 Bassmaster Elite Series via that Northern Open but I have to apologize to all of the uh, listeners and anglers in Kansas uh, for the past year and a half, I've been uh, harping on uh, how, how difficult it is to catch one of the six fish in Kansas. Well, we have found a fishery that has fewer fish than Kansas, the entire state, and that would be the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Very stingy, very uh, depressing. I don't know if you've ever gone five days and gotten three bites in practice, but I wasn't the only guy in that boat. A lot of guys were. Uh, JT Tompkins got the job done. Big come from behind win. He had like 11 and a half pound deficit going into the final day. Comes from ninth uh, on a very stingy fishery. Top 40 out of 190 guys. I think it took about 17 pounds to cash a check. Uh, so we will get into that. We also have the BPT going on on Malax right now. Stage seven, the final stage. Jacob Wheeler in third place after uh, day one of competition to basically. I think for all intents and purposes, he might not even have to catch another fish. He is your angler of the year. Uh, don't know if we've had a show since Brandon Polinick wrapped up his second angler of the year over on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Uh, Brian Schmidt gets a win in Wisconsin. Uh, that happened uh, uh, during the, the week and a half that I was gone. Scott Siller gets his first win in the NPFL. Uh, there is uh, Collegiate, uh, the Strike King uh, College Bass National Championship went on. We're going to have uh, the anglers, I believe, from Coastal Carolina. I think it was Coastal Carolina. Yeah, Coastal Carolina uh, won uh, that tournament. We're going to have both of those anglers on later this week. We'll go over that tournament later. Uh, and then Oklahoma changed its fishing regulations that kicked into effect yesterday, where you can now only box one bass over 16 inches and you can keep five under 16 and one over 16 so i say all that because there's a lot on the plate a lot to discuss a lot to digest and get through btl and we might save some of it for tomorrow bradley hallman will be uh in studio we're also going to talk to matt looney from pro guide batteries tomorrow uh so we might save some of that but i will get that into the second half of the show because the first half of the show is going to be dedicated to now what we can call elite series champion Austin Felix, who won uh, several weeks ago, uh, now on Oahe. It's kind of a weird uh, time of the year because you have uh, you have classics, championships, cups, angler of the year, requalifying process, and then you have the tournament winners that get into that too. So like at the beginning of the year when there's not much to talk about, you know, like Cruz goes out, wins the first one in Florida or something like that, boom, you get like 
that because that's the main thing. You have a tournament win. It's too early to be looking at all this other stuff. You get towards the end of the year, it all stacks up, and there is a ton of stuff to talk about. But I definitely wanted to get uh, Austin Felix on the show to talk a little bit, well, actually a lot, because uh, Austin utilized in my opinion, what I have deemed the most overrated technique in bass fishing and something that uh, died with the dinosaurs, and now there's a lot more. But, uh, Austin, what's up, man? What's going on? I mean, it's I was been debating. a few weeks. It, ha- you know, it has been a few weeks, and like I said, I had to just really digest and be able to uh, to understand the fact that a Carolina rig... What the heck is with the Carolina rig now, dude? On Oahe, uh, we'll get into it a little bit, but right off the bat, you look at, like, three of the last five major tournaments the Carolina rig has played, and it played a role, especially in the second half of your win on Lake Oahe a couple weeks ago. What's up with the resurgence of the rig? I mean, it's always still been around. I just, I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons it's good. It's been good for smallmouth for ages. It's just not the best tool for the job anymore not most of the time. Um, but it definitely has its place if the fishery is a little bit, a little bit dirtier or the fish are a little less pressured. So they're not scared of a little heavier line. And, um, it's way nicer to catch a smallmouth on a Carolina rig than a drop shot. I'll tell you that much. Like you're able to boat flip them and kind of manhandle them. But, uh, yeah, it's just another way to get a weightless bait down there quickly get it away it's away from the boat and it still is presented in a way that seems natural enough for them that they're willing to eat it okay so why this year has there been so many guys is this literally a case of you hear it happen one time and then it's kind of in everybody's mind so then when that opportunity presents itself they're like oh so and so like i mean it had been so many years since i'd heard of anything with the carolina rig and a little bit on the smallmouth i agree i think one of the guys who who top 10 to open a year or two ago in the uh uh thousand islands was was carolina rigging but as a whole, do you think it's kind of like a trend deal where all of a sudden one guy uses it and then they, he remembers or had seen that a guy the week before had, so it's in his mind, so he ties the ball and chain on, or do you think this was kind of a unique set of, of circumstances? Uh, I mean, it kind of just lined up that way the last, what, four events. Like, Pickwick Lake, I learned my rookie year on tour that if you're fishing a ledge turn, tournament you're going to get your tail kicked by a co-angler if you don't have one tied on because they pretty much can just sling it out there and just keep it in the water drag it around and they'll all fish you most of the time um so like i caught fish on a carolina rig at pickwick this year i didn't obviously catch any at st lawrence but as you reference guys have done it before yeah. and uh the last two just kind of lined up that way i hadn't planned on throwing it at oahe uh, until I saw Lee pick it up and have some quick success with it. But like I, in pre-practice for the Mississippi river, I caught a few on it. And if you remember when Seth kind of had his coming out party and took second on the Mississippi river, he was mm-hmm. catching a lot of his on uh, a Carolina rig. So it, it kind of just lined up. It's always been a great bait. And uh, yeah, when, when I won it, 
there was definitely something to it, but like I've said a bunch of times by now, I think it was just they kind of got off. They kind of got off a Ned rig and a drop shot just because they were seeing so much of it, and you could get that Carolina rig 150 feet away from the boat. So it was a di- more of a distance thing, you feel like, on Oahe than it was a bait thing. Do you think if you could have gotten the Ned rig that far away or the, the D shot that far away, they would have eaten it, or was it? Uh, maybe it was uh, like the first day of the event. I could have gotten a drop shot that far away. Like I was throwing a three-quarter ounce drop shot weight, and oh, you'd geez. bomb it out there at them. Yeah. But uh, they they wanted something near the bottom after day one. They kind of got off that drop shot, and they wanted something just sitting there for a while. And you almost had to coax them into eating it. And with a Carolina rig, you just get it way out there and work it slow enough that it stayed in their zone long enough that they just couldn't handle it and it didn't work on all the spots a lot of those locations the fish were moving around so much and so nomadic that it wouldn't really be proficient to throw it but i had two or three areas where you'd scope around and they always seem to be in one zone and when you found that and you could get a carolina rig on them then that's when you could catch multiple fish whereas the rest of the time it was kind of it was like big game hunting you were stocking one fish here there one little group and when mm-hmm. you got one out of it the rest were gone forward facing sonar stalking yeah. when you're talking about that yeah but not like, not stalking with the carolina rig just getting into areas using your forward facing sonar to know what you're casting at and then going strictly off field yeah it's kind of you kind of graph all over one big point and you kind of come to the realization, okay, the end of this rock spine is out here, and it looks like they're actually sitting on it. They're not just, like, moving across it. That's when the Carolina rig was key. Yeah. Uh, Robert mentioned the instant feedback. Yeah, uh, Buddy Gross uh, wins in Florida, the Carolina rig on shell beds to, to uh, kick things off. Uh, you had a good start to your year at the St. John's river, but then you kind of had like a mid section of the year that was like very un Austin Felix, like uh, a lot of middle of the pack finishes bottom. I was unaware that the Carolina rig was so instrumental in the, in the resurgence and saving of your season. Like you're in the, you're in the classic cause of the Carolina rig dude. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to say I wouldn't have made it without it, but <clears throat> it was definitely one of about maybe four tools that I used the last half of the season to really, like, climb the ladder. That's wild. Uh, I, I love the thing. Like, I know you're not a fan of it, but coming, like I said, you've always LW, liked it. I, growing up, I didn't throw it at all. Like, I'd throw a football jig 99% of the time, and football jig i feel like will get bigger bites but like i just i got my tail kicked my rookie year on on a couple of uh, a couple of ledge lakes when we my rookie year we had to fish pickwick and we had to fish kentucky lake and uh it's just like okay it's just something you have to have on because there's times they'll, they'll always eat a carolina rig it seems like no matter how turned off they are 
All right, I might have to tie one on. All right, what are you doing? If let's go through the basic setup. I know this is the most boring thing ever, and this is against every <laughs> moral value I have and integrity of the show. But let's run down the Carolina rig uh, breakdown, basic as a whole, because uh, every every guy has a little tweak or something different with it. What's your uh, what's your day in and day out setup? Uh, I mean, the line weight changes depending on where I'm fishing. For Oahe, I was fishing 16-pound sniper main line and a 14-pound sniper tag line. And uh, it's just, it, there's nothing really special to it. Just, you had a ball swivel and a 4 out Ryugi limit hook. The only kind of cool thing that I was using is Ryugi makes a Carolina rig weight, but it's a tungsten weight, and it's got like a, a inch long hard plastic sleeve. I see, that goes, noticed that. That's where that I was goes going out of this. it. So for smallmouth events, inevitably you're usually around a lot of zebra mussels and stuff, and dragging it over that stuff is really hard on your line. It causes you to just break off, lose weights and whatnot. And yeah. That little bit of a sleeve really is just protects ninety nine percent of that from happening. So you can run a little lighter line, you can cast farther and you can get away with a lighter weight does it feel different when you're dragging it down there or does it take a while to get used to that sleeve that you're moving as well no you can't tell the sleeve is even there and the fact that you're throwing tungsten it's, it's so much harder than a lot of guys who swear by lead ball weights or whatever yeah. it, it, you can feel everything and uh forot is uh, that's a pretty big hook for a carolina rig isn't it on the on the business end, I mean, I thought most guys, like I said, I'm 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 not talking from experience here, but I thought most guys use like ones and twos so they get more float, more natural action out of their plastic. I mean, that hook had to cover up that bait pretty solid, right? Oh yeah, like I was trying to get the entire bait just just on hook. the hook. Yeah, I was throwing a speed cross, so obviously <laughs> there isn't much there. <laughs> like a there normal that... speed crawl on a four up. Yeah, and it. You went in one end and you came out just the tip of the speed craw and just exposed it, but they grab it. And if you watch live, I'd swing on fish. I don't know if they were eating the weight. I think some of them were honestly picking up the weight and swimming off with it because you'd swing and you'd completely miss them and stop and drag it another three inches and they'd swing back around and then eat the bait or something. But like smallmouth are notorious mm -hmm. for like just barely getting the bait. So you want that hook tip as far back as possible just to get them if if they're going to eat it they're going to eat it all right then the other thing that i've always heard is man you always want to use mono on that tag end so it floats it up there it gets a little bit more natural drift instead of that that fluoro that drags the bait down i mean that's not you were you were going fluoro to fluoro now your sniper were different different pound test diameters but it was still two sinking lines mm -hmm. uh yeah for a while, that's the way I've always done it. Like, I'm no Carolina rig aficionado. You talk Well, you are. That. You just made the classic with it, won a tournament <laughs> with it, dude, and said you've been doing it your whole life. Yeah, that's how I've always done it. Uh, that's your thing now, Austin. That's what you're known okay. for. You're the Carolina rig. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, Now I lost my train of thought. Yeah, like, I was talking I, oh, about the mono versus fluoro yeah. on it. Like, I didn't think that much into it the fish really 
it was weird because they they acted like they were really pressured, but at the same time they weren't line shy. Like I kind of figured that out quick. I was throwing ten pound leaders on my drop shot and my Ned rig. That's why you just watch me kind of boat flip a lot of them if okay. I weren't, if they weren't really good ones, just because it didn't seem to make a difference. I had a rod rigged up with six pound drop shot and stuff like that, and I'd throw at fish that wouldn't eat the bigger line and it didn't seem to make any difference. So after a while, it was just like, okay, we're just going to throw a little bigger line and be safer, not worried about breaking off or anything like that. I did not realize uh, you fished, you've pretty much made it the championship or classic and everything uh, that you've uh, fished all the way going back to the Minnesota days. I think wasn't your first cup because you were a, collegiate angler at minnesota yeah uh but outside of the 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 college win and you did have a you had you do have an an angler of the year in the in the uh toyota series but as far as like most weight after three or four days like winning the tournament and the flw college national championship i don't think a lot of people realize this was your first w yeah, it like, was no BFLs, no Toyotas, no Opens, no Elite Series, and that shocked me when I went back because I was reading this article that you that you uh, that you penned, and you did a good job. I'm I'm assuming you like actually wrote this based on it, like because it's like long and there's thoughts or you had. I mean, you had this. This was well thought out. I really enjoyed this. You might have had. A oh, that's totally ghost written. Ghost, but you said you you yeah. transcribed it. Yeah. Um. But there's some lines in here, like I wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen for it to happen at Lake Oahe. I was on cloud nine. That's something that I thought I had the ability to do, but there's always a question in your head. Can it come together at any given time to win one of those blue trophies? Uh, and you've been so consistent, made so many top tens, and been on, on FS1 and ESPN and, and uh, the, on the FLW side so much. Was there, there was some doubt in there, huh, that to get the first win. Well, like I said, I've gotten a decent number of top tens and I've like put myself in position to have an opportunity a lot of times, but it's just like, it seems like everything has to go right to win an event. And for Oahe, I honestly didn't feel like I felt I had a better practice on the St. Lawrence River the three weeks before and caught 25 pounds both the first days and felt like I was in better shape than on Oahe. At Oahe, we went there. I went there really expecting to have to catch 23 pounds a day to have a shot at a win. And when practice was difficult, it was like, uh, and then day one, I get a camera boat and I dump the biggest fish of the whole day and kind of throw a mediocre bag. I thought, it was just going to be another one of these events. Like I could probably scratch back from it, but like I'm good at top tenning, but everything really has to go right to win. Yeah. 21 top tens. That's impressive. Cause you're what you're third. How old are you? Like 32, 31, no, 30? I'm 38. Oh, you're 38 too. Yeah. Oh, I'm 38 as well. That that second half of thirties really sneaks up on you quick, doesn't it? Dude, I'm tired. Well, you I'm get lost. the thing like after a drive where you get out and your knees hurt for like the first ten steps yet? <laughs> that was yeah. new, like the last couple years, because I'm a power driver. 
Like I'll do the straight through, like where I only get out of the truck to fill up the tank. And I've noticed kind of the last dizzy year. Dizzy when you get out. What? Kind of feel wobbly or dizzy not, when you get out. Man, yeah. not, I mean, not wobbly, but like I mean, I wouldn't want to like fight a mongoose in the first five minutes after getting out of the <laughs> truck. But like the knees just get a little little achy. Yeah, I uh, well, having to drive from here and eventually the first event's always in Florida. That first two and a half days of season driving is almost like a workout by the time you put 14 hours in you're just freaking exhausted and you haven't done a dang thing it is all right uh we're gonna take a break we're gonna let the jet go past you like next to like a naval bay or an air force base or something yeah there's a little airport up the road here ways but nice all right, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, I want to get Austin on first because you have to drive up to Minnesota to do some pre-scouting with your buddy Andy, right? Yeah, relax. Uh, yeah, to to for that. So I want to get you on in the first half of the show, but I want to take a break. When we uh, when we come back, I want to get Austin's uh, thoughts on, on collegiate fishing. Bass just had their national championship. We'll have the Strike King uh, national champions on the show uh, Wednesday. But uh, Austin and uh, was it, I'm trying to remember, Chris, Chris Burgoon? Chris Bergen. Yeah. Chris Bergen. You guys did like a bunch of stuff with the college bass zone back in the day yeah. in like 2013 and 2014, like on the road, like Chronicle and all the stuff uh, back when Dave Rush and I ran the college bass zone after they won the FLW College National Championship. I remember I followed Austin uh, and Chris at the Forestwood Cup and they always like sent like kind of video vlogs in and stuff, but it's really interesting. Uh, now, how people are taking for granted. You know, and I said this was going to happen back in the day. Like, it'll be eventually, like, where a guy wins and they'll just mention, like, where he fished at, right? Like, it wouldn't be a big deal that a collegiate angler won an Elite Series event or a collegiate angler did this or that because it would be so commonplace. And I think we've reached that. I think we reached that with you because it wasn't, like, a huge deal that you were a college angler who won for the first time. And I was like, dude, it's commonplace now. So I want to get your thoughts on college fishing, where you think it stands now. And then also I want to go into a little bit of the uh, of the mental side. Uh, we talked about the Carolina rig, but I'm not going to give it all the credit for the rally on the second half <laughs> of the year. You good with that? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, we'll be back. BTL on a Monday, September 12th, back live in studio with Elite Series champion, Austin Felix. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar. From chirp, side scan, and down scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush.
Um, we're just about ready to go, ladies and gentlemen. Get in order. Once again, Drew Cook is in the driver's seat. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear AFCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. All right, we are back. Like I said, the music computer's fried, Austin. Music computer is completely fried. But uh, back talking with Austin Felix. Uh, like I said, we had a, a we. A, week and a half of recorded shows uh really good interview if you haven't had a chance to go back and uh listen to dakota ebear uh an angler that is absolutely on a tear i believe he's had uh seven top six finishes between the pro circuit and the bpt just this year with top 10 finishes in both of those uh angler of the year circuits and then uh uh gerald spore also did a really good interview uh kind of talking about how he uh uh he starts with like a baseline, what he calls his toolbox. Do you do that same thing regardless of everywhere you go, Austin? There's just a certain... Now, I, I know it varies from smallmouth to largemouth, but is there base a kind of a baseline, a tool set of seven, eight rods that you will always have tied on when you go to a new fishery, kind of regardless of where it is? Uh, yeah, it kind of changes depending on the lake and the kind of fish. Smallmouth are a little bit easier. There's probably a dozen rods I'll have make sure I have rigged up and on the, on the boat, but, uh, large mouth fishing, it can be anything depending on time of the year and location. Like that's when you really get in the weeds with 20 to 30 to plus rods rigged and ready to go. Plus I've traveled with Brian new now, so you can imagine he's kind of rubbed off on me and how many Not does he fair. legitimately have rigged? Because, okay, if you haven't known the story, Brian New started, obviously, very talented angler uh, on the Elite Series, but kind of started his career hanging out with Brian Thrift. And Thrift is notorious for being meticulously organized with his rods and reels, but also having, like, 95 of them rigged mm -hmm. up and ready to go for every tournament. And, and New has kind of taken that same process and maybe even taking it to the next level so like in reality what is it what is his situation like on a tough derby uh it's the same way he'll have 14 to 16 rods on his front deck when he starts an event usually and uh like i can't even fit them unless you're stacking them three high but uh and then usually has a few in the passenger seat as well that he starts with and his marshal gets to hold on to but 
Yeah, and then the rod, rod box is full. I wouldn't try to guess how many rods he has at any given point, but it's 40 or 50, I would say. Is he up until like midnight every night rigging them? Does he re-rig everything at night? A lot of times. Uh, like this year, we had a lot of events that had a day off, so he's one of the biggest proponents of a day off for obvious reasons because <laughs> he likes to change line change everything and re-rig everything daily whereas i'm more like the jordan lee approach where you kind of tug on some stuff and if it's light line you might cut and tie it or if you have a short lead or retie it but for the most part it's just kind of it worked yesterday it'll keep working <laughs> Kenyon hill said something one time i think he told jared miller and then jared told me he said you know in multi-day tournaments he said well he said, why is the last cast the first day more important or less important than the first cast the second day? And Jared was like, huh? And he said, dude, he said, if you're you're fishing for the same thing and everything counts the same, he goes, if it was good enough for the last cast the first day, he goes, good enough yeah. for the first cast to the second day. <laughs> he said, okay, I guess that's one way to look at it. Old man is trying to talk to me. Oh, if you got to, if you, are you, are you no, up, he was just is he going up to Malax with you? Yeah, he's gonna come along. He was just wondering if the dog. I know. I'm said, keeping yeah. you from getting on the road to Malax, and he's going, dude. We gotta get up to. How far away are you from Malax? It's like 90 miles. Oh, dude, that's not bad at all. That fishery has changed a lot over the past 10 years since that first event that that Seth won up there, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's not the same fishery at all. It, it's still a good fishery. It still take. 23 to 25 pounds to win a five fish derby out there but it's nothing like it was it used to be you used to drop on those same boulders and catch six to 12 fish off of one boulder before you had to slide over to the next one and if in the fall if you didn't have 28 pounds really you had a poor day <laughs> it's it's different it's a lot more difficult I, it's still my favorite lake and the state but it's changed do you think that's because those fish have gotten caught and actually have a memory of it like are they still there they're just educated or are those is it a cycle thing or are there fewer smallmouth because of the whole walleye thing that's going on over there uh it didn't help that they kind of focused or tried to move the focus from walleye to smallmouth when they said the walleye population went down they tried to get people to keep smallmouth and whatnot. And a lot of those fish were really old. And so the population isn't as big. There's definitely still a lot of fish there. They've gotten extremely smart. If you catch one off of a boulder, it's you You can watch the rest just swim away. Wow. But there'll still be multiple fish around. They're just, they've all got PhDs now. What percent of the fish in that lake do you think of? been hooked like uh, over four pounds smallmouth over four pounds in malax like if i know you can't you can't 99.9 really? you don't think there's very very few virgin smallmouth out there no i mean and it's it's gotten to the point it got tough enough that a lot of the guys and a lot of the guides are uh are switching to live bait too which puts added pressure on them inactive fish even they will bite a live sucker. 
so it, it, it it's gotten a lot diff- more difficult you can tell all right last thing and then we'll let you get on the road to Malax. i did want to get your thoughts on uh uh college collegiate fishing uh it, it continues to grow and grow and grow, and we see a higher and higher percent of, of anglers at the top level coming through the college ranks. Uh, you came through the college ranks just a, about a decade ago now. If we're mm-hmm. just going to talk about age, I was like 10 years ago, 2013, 2014, or in 2022 now. Uh, how much do you think that prepared you? for the FLW tour for the elite series. Is there still things that you learned then that are, that are a foundation that are a base that you use today, or were you just a good angler that happened to fish collegiately and you'd have done the same thing in the BFLs and the bass nation if college fishing wasn't there? I mean, I was older when I got back into college, I went part-time and then only went full-time for my last two years of school. And I was 28, 29 years old. So Mm -hmm. I spent that extra time off fishing and hunting basically full time. So that was sort of my education. I do always tell people that I definitely wouldn't be fishing professionally if it weren't for college fishing, mainly because it gave you the opportunity to travel around the country and kind of see how other fisheries set up. And I kind of proved to myself doing it that I could compete without all the same local knowledge you have back Mm -hmm. home. And uh, it was really that aspect that opened my eyes to the fact that this is uh, an actual option for me, that I wasn't going to be one of the guys hanging out in Minnesota fishing team derbies and working a nine-to-five job my whole life. All right. It's interesting you mentioned that. I do want to ask you one more thing. I'm working on getting Noah Schultz on the show. He's a, uh, do you know who that is? He's up in Minnesota. Yeah. He's won, won every boat in the last three years. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> my buddy Adam Bartuzik was like, dude, you need to get this Noah Schultz guy on. He's like made a killing over the last like five years up here. And you guys have like the Blackfish and the St. Jude and you have a uh, classic bat. You have like a number of really cool team and individual uh, tournaments up in Minnesota. But we talk about your win. Uh, well, now Brandon Politic is Angler of the Year, but we've seen what uh, Seth Fighter has done. Minnesota has just seen an influx of really talented anglers uh, coming out of the state, and it seems like you guys all like simultaneously figured out how to catch them in the South uh, and all over the country. Is Minnesota the most underrated learning and proving grounds for professional bass fishermen now in the entire country? I mean, I would say five years ago, for sure. I think it's gotten a lot of light shed on it between myself, Seth Fighter. I mean, before Seth joined, it was basically Jim Moyna was the only pro from the area that was fishing local events and stuff like that. Like we got all the guys from in fishermen that are like well known, but not, they're not known for tournaments, even though they were absolutely killing us in tournaments back in the day and uh, stuff like that. But at this point we don't have a huge bass community, but we have like a really tight knit one and a really, really good one. Like they're, like every state has their legends who have been doing this for years, won everything, 
to the point where people always assume they were cheating. It just seems like you got That's everybody, every state. Every state has the guys that go <laughs> on like guys. an eight, 10 year run to the point where the newer guys just assume <laughs> they're cheating. But <laughs> where they're like, you know what? We paid our entry fee and then we just followed them around wearing hats, sunglasses, and fake beards to see what <laughs> they did. They stayed by this one dock an awful long time. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's just, it keeps growing and, Minnesota's the anglers are incredibly well-rounded. That's the other thing about it. And there's getting to be more and more of them. Like I have only fished one team tournament in the last three years up here because with our elite schedule and with college fishing blowing up and everything, like all the tournaments are limited to 50 boats, a hundred boats, 75 boats. So, I'm not able to just pick and choose which ones they're, they're all filling up for the entire season, which it didn't used to be the case. Like everybody wants to fish these events now. So they're all signing up for the whole season and making it difficult for me to jump in one middle of season when I'm back for a month, which is good and bad. Like I miss fishing Lake Minnetonka fishing the Denny's event. I'm sure you've heard Seth yep, talk about yep. it. That's like, the proving ground for Minnesota. When you can be successful in that circuit, you have beaten the best people in the Midwest. Yeah. What was it? So it's it's the Denny's, the classic bass, which is kind of a newer one. That's what I need to talk to Noah about. It's like a almost an MLF format, I think. Yeah, that Champions Tour yeah, is an MLF. The Champions Tour. Tour. The St. Jude mm-hmm. and the Blackfish. Yep, the Blackfish is an individual event. St. Jude is an individual event. Are those kind of like the main four or trails or major tournaments bass related in Minnesota every year? Yeah, those are uh, the Champions Tours, the MLF style. Denny's is a six fish limit uh, all on Lake Minnetonka, which is one of the hardest lakes in the country to be consistent on. And, uh, yeah, the other two are individual events. The other one I'd say is there's a Minnetonka Classic every spring that everybody jumps in. I mean, I think it had 130 boats this year, but yeah, uh, it's like those are the those are the tournaments that we all grew up fishing and it, cut our teeth. It's totally different than um, California and the West Coast. But I've had Ken Ma on before, and we we did a whole show kind of breaking down the main possible avenues on the West coast, you know, that a lot of other guys, but don't, but everyone out on in California and that West coast looks at and goes, Oh, this guy's won this, this, and this, even though we haven't heard about it, Western, uh, uh, you know, the one bass and, and, uh, all the different trails out there. But to me, Minnesota has that same kind of, I don't want to say like a bubble, but like outside of Minnesota, we haven't really heard of those just like outside of California. We haven't, but you guys have like your own kind of really eclectic, cool tournament scene, real tight knit. Everybody knows every, everyone follows, you know, all of the main tournaments. You have three or four main different things. And then you see the guys that, that, uh, that go out and they seem to get a lot of support from the rest of the fishing community in that neck of the woods too. Yeah, I would compare it a lot to even like Gunnersville. there are circuits down there that they just fish Gunnersville five times a year even like i think there's almost a bfl circuit that just fishes Gunnersville and whatnot and if you look at that or you look at the aba or the 
Alabama Bass Trail, yep. that kind of stuff. Like that's what the it's not as the numbers aren't as big, but that's like the quality of anglers that come out on top in that in that little Denny's event, which is well, that's good stuff. All right, I think I'm gonna let you uh let you hit the road to Malax. It looks like a gorgeous day there in Minnesota, but I would like to thank you, uh Carolina rig expert Austin Felix for <laughs> For jumping on the guru of the rig, Austin Felix, for jumping on BTL this morning. You don't seem absolutely thrilled with that uh, with that campaign that I'm starting. <laughs> I'll add it to the list of things I can do well, I guess. All right, Austin, I greatly appreciate you taking the time and jumping on BTL. All right, we'll talk to you. All right, see ya. That was uh, Austin Felix. Uh, Dude, super low-key, super mellow, way smarter than people give him credit for and way more talented uh, than your average bass fish. When you go back and look at the stats, the dude has never sucked. Uh, it's ironic. He rooms with Brian New, and New always says, don't suck. That's his like main tagline, his main key there. And Austin has never sucked, even from the time uh, uh, the collegiate days. I guess I kind of knew that he was a little bit older when he went back and went to school. I was kind of in that same boat. I was I was 21 when I ended up going to, uh, to Oklahoma. But uh, really good year, really strong finish uh, to his year. He had uh, three or four top 30 finishes uh, to make up for a mediocre mid part of the season. That sixth place to kick things off really helped him. And then he punches ticket to the classic uh uh in tennessee this year so we got a lot to talk about when we come back i want to talk a little bit about uh what went down at the chesapeake bay uh there was a a a dq for an angler by the name of swindle just a bad deal all the way around on that we're going to touch uh touch on that uh like i said and touch on uh what has gone down in the world of professional bass fishing over the last week and a half. So it is BTL on a Monday. We'll be back right after this. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multi-directional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic 
that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xonlures.com and check them out for yourself. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and a unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad just a really different looking color for a crankbait so you want to give them a little different look that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with all these colors are available in the original little john and the md combining one of the most popular hook styles with gamakatsu's beefier superline offering the gamakatsu superline offset round bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round Bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-aught, 4-aught, and 5-aught, this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute, every day on the water, is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. All right, we are back. Final segment of BTL on a Monday. Uh, big shout out to Austin Felix. Like I said, he was headed out to do a little scouting for a derby next week. Didn't know he was taking his pops with him, too. But he said, hey, man, I'll stick around. Jump on BTL if you need me to. Uh, and I said, yeah, I would like to get you on after your first win with the Carolina rig. So big shout out to him. All right, let's see how much I can get through uh, diving into this. Uh, we'll start with the most recent. We'll work our way back. That would be JT Tompkins, 11 pounds, 6 ounces off of the lead, heading into the final day of the Northern Open on Chesapeake Bay. Comes back 17-4 on the final day and wins. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you're paying attention to FS1 in the top 10 in that, there is a group of young 20-somethings uh, led by Coop, Cooper Gallant, uh, and... Uh, JT's in that mix. Trey Swindle's in that. There's just a bunch of guys that are around there, and they're really good. Uh, and I think you'll see uh, five or six of those guys, and a lot of them, a lot of that group, kind of made the top ten this past week at the uh, at the Chesapeake Bay. But uh, this is what went down, and I want to read something off Facebook and uh, uh, 
if you weren't paying attention, so Trey Swindle, um, I just want to refer to him as Trey Swindle. He's Gerald Swindle's nephew. He's ran with Gerald before. Gerald fished some opens with him last year, but he's fishing all nine this year. He's got his own sponsors, does his own thing, works his butt off on his own. I see him on the water a lot of the time. He always has a super positive attitude. Uh, really like the guy, Trey Swindle. Uh, and he's, I, I mean, the, let's face it, the fact of the matter, he's got a fish. He's, he's got a fish as Gerald's nephew, right? But he's his own guy. He does his own thing. He puts in his own time, effort, works his butt off. He's staying like in campgrounds on the floor of other guys' campers and stuff just to get through it, to make it through the year. Uh, he wants to do this thing and he's good at it too. Uh, and he was in second place after uh, he had a little, little bit, bit of a rough year in the open so far, just as far as overall. But he was in second place after day two of this super stingy Chesapeake Bay event. I mean, dude, you could go like eight hours and not get a bite. Uh, but Trey's I've been very impressed, impressed with him. Dude's always got a positive attitude, always on the water early, always getting off the water late. Always busting his butt. Um, so Bass has a has a rule where they check uh, every morning if you are uh, boats one or or two, they check your insurance and you have to carry you know whatever insurance with three hundred. I think it's three hundred thousand dollars liability coverage, uh, and it's been like that for years um, in all levels of bass, whether you're Nation Open Elite Series, and they check it. And there's been you know guys who haven't had their insurance or whatever, and they hold them at the dock, whether it's Trip or Chris or Hank or whoever it is. Hold them at the dock till they can provide insurance. Well, usually it's a weekend, your boat one or two, you just can't get your insurance. Now it's a lot easier with the internet that you can just pop on and show it. But guys have gone off the rail. I remember Ish had a meltdown one time. All he has to do then is, you know, get a hold of the insurance agent, show it to him. Well, the problem with Trey was he was in second place going into the final day. So boat one, boat two, they go off in order on the, on the final day, right? So he's in second place and he, he, has his insurance, has insurance, everything's fine. I guess he didn't have $300,000 deductible. And he couldn't show that he had $300,000 deductible during official practice or the tournament. If he could have proven that, he'd have been, been golden. But I guess he was short of that $300,000, uh, which resulted in a DQ for the tournament. And he was in second, man. That was like $20,000 there. $18,000, I think, 10th paid like seven, dollars $8,000. I and mean, it's just like important cash money for the kid, not to mention... Uh, that he was in second place. He had a twenty six fifteen, and Chris Boudry ha- had thirty three fourteen after that that day, which was a seven pound lead. What you know? What you have to remember though is that that J T. Tompkins was eleven six off the lead. Boudry only caught three fish for five pounds. Trey was fishing in kind of some of that same area. It had really good days, uh, and and he got DQ'd. Uh, now there's no telling what could have happened. He could have gone out and zeroed. He could have gone out and he could have caught fifteen pounds. Uh, and one, which would have been forty five fifty thousand bassmaster classic ten thousand dollars in the classic with his uncle, the Gerald and Trey Swindle in Tennessee at the bassmaster classic that would have been bass would have eaten that up that would have been a hell of a story, not to mention uh the angler of the year points and as a young angler getting an an open win, we all know how tough it is to uh to win at any level. But, uh, you know, this was kind of also evolving on FS1 because the, the show was live because it was the final open. Um, and, you know, I talked to a bunch of guys there said, man, did you hear what happened to Trey and stuff? And it's like, yeah, that sucks. Uh, to some extent, like, dude, like I remember I've, I've learned some tough lessons of stuff like 
with props and with all sorts of just stuff that most people take for granted. But then, like, you have to learn the lesson the hard way. And it seems like this is just a hard way. It's just a cut and dry rule. You have to have $300,000 liability if you don't. And you can't prove that you haven't during the tournament. You get DQ'd, and that's what happened. But here's what really impressed me was how uh, Trey handled that situation. Uh, and I talked about this in the house with uh, with Upshaw and Hallman and, and Sokup and a, a bunch of the guys there. We were like, man, I don't know if I'd have been able to take it that way. But this tells you the type of, of mentality and attitude that, that uh, Trey Swindle has. And I don't think it's like a lack of competitiveness. I think it's putting it into perspective and realizing that you can't do anything about what's already happened. You can only learn from it and move on. I don't know who... Uh, I don't know who Caitlin Clark is. I'm assuming it's Trey's girlfriend, but she posted this on Facebook. A bunch of people, uh, a bunch of people reposted it, shared it. Uh, so I'll say it. She said uh, she talks about how how disappointed they are about it, and it says while it feels uh, like everything has been completely lost, I just can't get over the attitude this guy had the entire time. What you didn't all, uh, I'm, I'll just try to read it all. What you all didn't see on FS1 was Trey going up and wishing all the guys good luck before blastoff right after he found out that he was going to be disqualified. You didn't see him take the guys out who he who was supposed to be filming him for FS1 so they could ride around and support the other guys while they fished. You didn't see him helping his friend bag up the fish at weigh-in. You didn't see him sign a hat and give tackle to a kid who was so excited to meet him and couldn't understand why he wasn't out there fishing. You didn't see the way he comforted his mom and I while we stood there on the dock crying. You don't see him shaking hands and congratulating the winners. And she said, that's what makes me so proud of him. Uh, and that is something, uh, I think that, uh, that shows the character of a guy, uh, a, a kid, he's a young kid, man. He's not like a grown adult. Like this is probably the biggest, this is the biggest opportunity fishing thing that's ever happened in, in his career. Most likely I would assume I'll go out on a limb and say it won't be the last. Uh, but man, what a way that he handled probably the lowest point of his fishing career to this point, not having the right insurance, getting DQ'd with the classic on the line, with the 50000 needing the money, the second place, FS1. And to be able to have the maturity and the foresight to stick around, because like I said, he's part of that group of guys that, that made the top 10 and not have a woe is me, but realize, hey, I screwed up. I can't do anything about it. I can learn from it, but I can be supportive to my friends. I can make the best of this situation and I can stick around. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't think I'd have been within a hundred miles of that way. in after I made that mistake and that's not, and that's just, I don't think I would have been able to swallow my pride enough to be able to, to do the right thing, which is what uh, Trey Swindle did. So big shout out to uh, Trey Swindle, zero controversy here zero bash should have or he should have it's a rule he didn't follow the rule black and white cut and dry that's all it is so uh a, a shout out to trey swindle in the way that uh the way that he handled that also in the northern opens uh i took a little bit i've taken a little bit of, of uh flack in the past because i was like man you only have 50 points in each open division and i had some messages of guys who were like dude no that was a weird deal last year with three anglers qualifying um with three anglers qualifying at that 549 point mark. And I said, you know, you have the three opens and you have to finish in the top three to make the elite series. Well, Alex Weatherall, 572 points. Koya Fujita, 566 points. And Keith Poche slides in in 549 points. That's right, 549, 51 points. 
what's crazy is, and they all get Elite Series invites, what's crazy is Jacob Walker. Uh, Jacob Walker goes out in the Northern Opens at average between 180 and 220 boats, and he goes uh, 19th, 18th, and 19th. Does not get an Elite Series invite. That's rough. Uh, this is obviously the last year that they do three uh, in each division, too. But uh, the interesting thing there with uh, Keith Pochet um, doing it all out of that little boat, uh, he made a long run here in the little boat, didn't go anywhere that you needed to have a little boat to get into. I actually talked with Keith uh, for a long time as he was driving up to Malax. I saw he posted that he uh, had gotten COVID. Uh, I don't know if he fished or not. He had every intention of fishing when I talked to him. Um, and when it comes to his decision uh, between the BPT and the 2023 20, uh, Bassmaster Elite Series, uh, you know, I'm not going to, to speak for, for Keith, uh, but it is nice. And he did say it is nice to have options. Uh, he likes the BPT. He likes MLF. He also likes the Bassmaster Elite Series and he likes Bassmaster. So I think his goal was to have options at the end of the year, uh, talk with a, a bunch of people that he respects and some of his friends uh, from both sides and then make a decision based on that. Uh, so I did say, hey, when you do make your decision either way, Feel free to come on BTL. I love the the uh, the piece uh, and the show that he did about uh, uh, fishing out of smaller boats and accessing hard to reach waters on BTL uh, from the construction site, uh, nonetheless. So uh, that's the uh, that's the scenario there. Uh, we will do we will do a whole wrap up show for the uh, Bassmaster Lead Series Angler uh, of the Year, Brandon Polinick. I know I haven't talked about that. I think he does like elk hunting and he's got a baby and he needs some time to wind down. We'll get him. Uh, we'll get him on the show to talk about that. And I also mentioned at the beginning, uh, this is kind of a victory lap for Jacob Wheeler uh, in Stage Seven on Malax where Austin Felix believes that 99.9% of the fish have already been caught. So uh, it looks like two of the uh, foremost authorities currently fishing in the world, and uh, Brandon Polinick and uh, Jacob Wheeler will be your angler of the years at the very top level. Uh, very cool event also that went out of Sandusky Bay a week and a half ago now. Uh, Scott Siller won the NPFL on Erie. They have one left in Florida later, if my memory serves me right i think maybe october they have one on toho uh but 66 9 it's been a minute since we've had a, a high level event go out of sandusky uh, and they had to deal with a lot of wind during practice but uh smallmouth dominated event uh working on getting brian schmidt on for a show next week i also have recorded shows next week because i'll be at uh uh the red river i'm not gonna lie i told hank i said boy i said you really did a good one with this schedule i said you kind of kick us right between the legs with the Chesapeake and then when we're bent over going oh I said you uppercut us with the Red River I, I kind of like that analogy so uh, but we'll be at the Red River there but I'm uh, looking to get Schmidt on uh, this week as well as uh, as well as Noah Schultz uh, gonna get a couple guys on to talk about the Elite Series schedule it came out decent schedule there uh, going back to some fisheries that they haven't been to in a while but also maintaining some of the uh, uh, some of the familiar fisheries that have been on. So, uh, yesterday also started and I don't, I don't know how this is going to impact because I know if you've wa listened, watch, uh, or read what Terry Brown writes in the Panagraph in, in Bloomington, Illinois, uh, Illinois has gone through a ton of bass fishing regulations as far as, Oh, we just want to, 
make sure that your tournament is registered so we know this and that. And then that led to like ramp fees and regulations and all sorts of craziness in Illinois. And I hope that's not the path they're going down in Oklahoma. Um, but the uh, Oklahoma Department of Natural Resources, a fisheries wildlife department, changing it, I think it's like six fish now, but only one can be over 16 inches. So, like, if you catch a five-pounder and you want to, like, oh, I might catch another one, we'll do the gripping grins. You can't put them in the box. If you want to have a little club tournament, you can't put them in the box uh, if they're over 16, or you can only do with one over 16. You can get a, a permit, like a free permit. They give you, like, a code. It's, like, on your phone. You get pulled over, hey, I'm in the tournament. Here it is. You can still bring in five for 14. Uh, but uh, Oklahoma did a really good job on their website, uh, you can go to the, the the Oklahoma Natural Resources page and see it, but they have like all these YouTube videos explaining why they did it and the shocking results and the surveys of how many fish are under 15 inches and over 15 inches based on all these tournament lakes. Uh, but they're basically saying, hey, we need a lot of these fish under 16 inches out and eating, which I still have a tough time getting over, um, even though there's nothing wrong with eating a bass. So... Uh, tomorrow, uh, got a really good show going on. We have Brad Hallman in studio. So Brad, <laughs> Brad had a week. He had a week at the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, he got into it with a, uh, with a dock owner who then sent, uh, her son out on a boat to confront Brad, who Brad confronted back and it all got caught on, on Brad's new, uh, 360 GoPro. Uh, he, lost a giant at the boat with his hands on it. He caught some fish he didn't think he was going to catch. He thinks he either lost a five or six pounder or a blue cat. He's not sure which, but he's still, uh, he's still finishing the top 60s, less than 100 points out of qualifying for the Elite Series with three left. So we're going to have him on. We're also going to have uh, Matt Looney from Pro Guide Batteries to come back on. We're going to talk about... Uh, uh, just to, for one segment, uh, we're going to talk about preparing your batteries for the winter uh, as that comes, as it comes into fall, as we're seeing cooler temperatures. Um, what you need to do to make sure that you're always maximizing your power, as well as uh, he has a nephew. Uh, and if you know, uh, Matt Looney runs a, a charity, a nonprofit organization called Bass for Beckers. Uh, and they do a giveaways every single month. And then he also gives away his, his boat at the end of the year. And a, for a donation, you get a raffle ticket and you have a chance to win uh, to win his boat. But there are uh, uh, prizes every single month. And he asked if I would be interested in donating a prize. If you buy a ticket, you're entered into the prize uh, for uh, September. That I said, yeah. And he said, well, what do you want to donate? And I thought, and I said, how about a winter crappie trip? He's like, I love it. So there will be opportunities to buy a ticket. I, I'm, I'm not sure how much they are. I have to get that on. But he'll be on tomorrow to give out all those, uh, all those instructions on how to do it. If you want to go out, and I, we'll go somewhere in Jackson. Uh, I can't actually like name the names of the lakes because they're kind of well, secret hidey holes where you catch all these big old crappie. So, uh, but. I will be giving away that, and then obviously all the proceeds go to uh, Bass for Beckers. Yes, we will talk about uh, the grill, and we'll talk about Brad's meltdown and all that, but I'm going to save that for tomorrow's show uh, when Brad's actually here. So, All right, that is it. We're back. We made it through BTL on a Monday. Big shout-out to Austin Felix. 
Brad Hallman, Matt Looney in studio tomorrow. That's it. We'll see you guys on a Tuesday. This is it. Later. <laughs>